0: Well, this is the podcast, podcast. for Multi Faith Matters, and uh, my guest today is David W. Shank. I've been privileged to uh, be at a couple of peacemaking conferences in D.C. with David over the last few years, and I've enjoyed his books and his perspective. Um, David has uh, done a lot of Uh, missionary work overseas, uh, dealing with Muslims, and uh, we're going to tap into those insights. David, can you share a little bit about your background uh, so that folks can know about your experience and where you're drawing from? Okay, I
1: was born in Tanzania, Tanganyika, because my father and mother were pioneer Mennonite missionaries in Tanzania among a tribal group called the Zanaki. The Zanaki had never heard of Jesus before. It was total illiteracy, no modern medicines. It was very pioneer work. That's where I was born, where I grew up, seeing a church being formed out of a traditional African cultural milieu. There was no Muslims around anywhere. Mm. Um, so, um, however, uh, in my growing up years, I began to sense there was a community known as as, as Muslim. and um, then, as an adult, uh, back in the States, uh, the Lord began to lay on my heart, in my wife's heart, a concern for Muslims. So that came to us in the USA. And actually, the context was uh, that one of the uh, directors of the mission, uh, Somali man mission, mission, uh, an assassin, felt that, uh, that, that, that that action has to be taken. Um, so, um, we were asked to go to Somalia and replace that family. So that happened in 1961. We moved to, to, um uh, Somalia. And, um, that was when my immersion with Muslims began in, uh, the country of Somalia. Uh, 100% Muslim, uh, as I entered the airport, however. I was very impressed with the fact that, uh, that these people are a very God-conscious people. In fact, as we were disembarking, a, 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 a porter uh, looked to us at the back of the line and shouted, Ho! You be Mennonite mission! And we said, yes, that's right. We like Mennonite mission. Mennonite mission people praying very much. <laughs> and so any thoughts that were somehow entering Somalia unobtrusively uh, would simply be scuttled. <laughs> we obviously were, had arrived in Somalia uh, where everything was open. Um, and so that was my immersion into, into Muslim uh, engagement and has continued throughout the years.
0: Well, I I appreciate your background quite a bit, and I think that uh, viewers and listeners will find that very helpful. Uh, One of the things that I I think that American evangelicalism is at an important crossroads in uh, how we relate to the other, particularly uh, Muslims, at this point in time. And and I want to tap into some of your experience and your insights to help uh, evangelicals think through this. Um, You've written a number of books. You're going to reference some of them, one of them. I'll hold it up right here that I found very helpful. I've written a review for it, uh, of it. Um, Christian Muslim Friend, 12 Paths to Real Relationship. It's a part of a series of books. In this particular book, one of the things that you recommend is to choose mutual respect through disagreement. Um, And that's not easy for evangelicals, where the assumption is that if we have strong disagreement with somebody in another religious tradition, particularly one we may not like very much, like Islam, that that requires on our part harsh denunciation. So how have you navigated respect through disagreement with Muslims? A very good question. And uh,
1: maybe I will go to the book that you have already referred to, A Muslim and a Christian in Dialogue. Uh, This book has been very widely received both by evangelicals and non-evangelicals, as well as by Muslims. Um, It was developed when I was teaching at the University of Nairobi. Uh, in the Department of, Rel- of Religious Studies. Um, and Badu khatarega was the Muslim on staff, and he and I became best friends. Now, fast forward 40 years um, to an event that took place in Kampala just uh, two years ago. This Badu khatarega living in Kampala at the present time, planned for a grand um, uh, respect. Uh, full day honoring day for this dialogue this this Muslim and christian dialogue and so I was invited to come others came as well uh, I thought this would be a modest gathering of three or four people perhaps and behold when the amphitheater's doors opened there was uh, over a thousand academics and students there in the uh, in the receiving area of for uh, to celebrate the Shank dialogue Um, which uh, had been written some 40 years ago. And um, so the speeches began and uh, the hoopla began and Katalega began to talk very energetically about the need for dialogue, 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 and how important that is. Then my turn came to speak. And uh, I said, um, uh, this is so important, this emphasis on dialogue but, you know, Katareg, you and I have been dialoguing for 60 years, (laughs) and then some. And we we haven't gotten very far, have we actually? There's a long way to go yet in this commitment to dialogue. Um, I said, you know, for me, just across Lake Victoria from where we are tonight, here in Kampala, just across the bay there, why uh, it was... um, I'm sorry this. uh, That's okay. okay. So um, I said just across the lake from where we are tonight, uh, one day the man from Galilee met me and uh, called me and I have been following him as you well know and he said I hope the whole of this country has heard what Trent just said. He has said publicly to all of us that he is a man who follows a man from Galilee Now, he said, I don't follow the man from Galilee, although I respect him highly. But David Shank follows this man. And um, this means that both communities must provide space for the other. That is what dialogue is about. And to respectfully, as we're doing here tonight, I said, well, why did you actually invite me to come? What do you expect to happen? And They said, we've invited you to come for one reason not because you're such a brilliant theologian, although you're okay theologically, academically, but you are the friend of Cotarega. And Cotarega is your friend. And it is most unusual for a Muslim and a Christian to have a 60-year friendship, which endures in season and out of season. Everyone knows Cotarega and Shank are the best of friends. And that spirit, of open hearted friendship opens doors for us to learn to trust each other. And these wars we've had in Uganda would not have happened if there had been many people who were friends like Atanagi and Shankar friends. And that's why we're having this celebration to just give thanks for the reality that you two men respect and love one another. That in itself is
0: transformative. Would you encourage uh, American evangelicals to try and adopt the same posture? I mean, we have a lot of fear, uh, distrust, uh, fear of physical violence, even though statistically that that isn't a great likelihood. Is it possible and should we do the same thing here in this country? Of course, (laughs) (laughs)
1: of course. (laughs) I was uh, doing a seminar in Zurich, Switzerland a couple of years ago and uh, in the center square there in Zurich. And I was saying that uh, every Christian should have a Muslim friend, and every Muslim should have a Christian friend. And it is very important for these friends then to meet each other frequently to drink tea together. Mm. That becomes transformative in a culture. Two years later, I was back in Zurich, and several people looked me out, uh, took me out and said, Off this side, I said, You know what? A number of us took you seriously back there two years ago, and we have literally reached out to the Muslims in this community to drink tea together and to become friends to one another. And it has transformed the spirit in this central Zurich uh, tourist sort of area. Um, So, yes, I would say, indeed, um, cultivate relationships. A uh, pastor from uh, Kazakhstan told me, I thought the Muslim on the hill was my enemy. And then one day I decided to transform this relationship, become a friend. And so I went up the hill and met the Imam and I said, I'm the pastor and you're the Imam. I would like us to become friends. And I started to do that every week, walk up that hill and have that conversation. So when I had 30 people to be baptized, I went to the Imam and I talked to him about it. I said, this is your village. Basically, it's mostly a Muslim village, but we have 30 people wanting to be baptized. And I just want you to know that that's what we're planning to do in the next two weeks: have a baptism for some 30 people. And of course, most of those who were being baptized were from Muslim background. And the Imam said, "Thank you for sharing this with me. It is so helpful." And so, when the town fathers came to speak to the Imam, to said, "Are you where the pastor is going to have some some baptisms?" The Imam said, "Yes. The pastor's already talked to me about that, and uh, we're good friends." And uh, even the quote in itself says baptism is a good thing. So uh, we uh, we bless what you're doing.
0: <laughs> well, let's hope that we can have uh, more mutual tea drinking and relationships, uh, not only in Switzerland and Africa, but also in America. Uh, you, you just mentioned uh, the Quran. I, I found something that you wrote about this fascinating in uh, one of your books. Uh, you said that the Christian reading and interpretation of the Quran. Uh, you, you argue that there should be a hard discipline in that. And you state that we should, quote, uh, not presume a reading of the Quran means that we have understood it. And I've seen many critiques by Christians, including evangelicals, who quote a passage of the Quran and give a particular interpretation. And the assumption is that it's accurate. And then they proceed quickly to critique. How can Christians learn to understand the Quran in fair ways that might best represent? the way a Muslim community, an individual would understand it.
1: Well, there is where the meeting with one another is very important. Um, I, um, when when I uh, teach seminars and so forth on Islam, I always try to imagine that Katarega, who wrote the dialogue with me, is with me on the stand. And occasionally I will say, now what I'm saying, I know that if Katarega were here, he would disagree with what I'm saying with my interpretation of the Quran, at this point, he would disagree. And so respectfully, I say, uh, we have divergence as a Christian and as a Muslim on some issues, which we need to name publicly and to, uh, and to deal with them. Um, That, that kind of integrity is very important. And it means that I'm trusted by Muslims because they feel that I do try to represent Islam accurately. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if I disagree with that interpretation, that I'm ready to say it and explain why I have concerns about that, keeping it all out on the table, uh, very, very significant in the conversation between Muslims and Christians. I think that's one reason that this dialogue is so much appreciated, because they feel that Katalega has done a good job of representing Islam, and they feel that I've done a good job of representing Christian faith. And so that makes trust. Mm -hmm. And so, like I was in Cairo here, Couple of years ago, and um, I was um, um, went to the office of the Grand Mufti, the chief, chief Muslim uh, authority in Egypt. And uh, I'm going through this very speedily. There's a lot of background conversations and so forth that made this possible. And when I went into his office, uh, I said, "I am David Shenk, and I am a uh, representative of uh, of the Christian faith." Um, and of, um, of, uh, of uh, Jesus, I'm his emissary, and we know he is the peacemaker Jesus. And I uh, seek to walk in the peace of Jesus. So we had a very uh, gracious and very forthright, very probing half hour together. And uh, as we were leaving, as I was leaving, he said, I want you to come back for another round. We should have another hour or so to discuss these matters that we're talking about. On the peace of Islam and the peace of Christ. And uh, it, it's just been very helpful. But uh, as you're leaving, he said, I want to give you a message, which I hope you will take to all Christians in North America. He said, This is the message coming from the office of the Grand Mufti of Egypt. Implore American Christians, follow Jesus. For if you Christians would follow Jesus, you are positioned in such a way. That you could bring about surprising the good transformation in our culture but that witness is needed and we're just urging you step forward and follow jesus whom you claim to believe in and work for the justice which jesus with jesus is committed to that's my plea with you i got to the office door and ready to step out into the hallway behold uh the uh, the uh, uh, Ayatollah, he came walking around and stood between me and the door. He said, did you hear what I said? I'm serious. Implore American Christians, follow Jesus, have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> and then he also suggested that we have another round and that happened at very, uh, in various venues and so forth. There have been just a number of very uh, probing and significant uh, dialogues that have taken place in Egypt using this book as kind of bellwether. And
0: how to put it together. You also talk about in in your writings a dialogue of praxis. Um, In my experience it's almost the praxis that has to come first that creates space and hearts and minds for new ways to see each other so that we can be have you know build trust and have these conversations. How might Christians work together with Muslims as part of the conversation and friendship process? What kinds of things have you been involved in?
1: Well it surprises me, <laughs> but um, our time in Somalia, we went out there in 1963 and um, I got involved as directing the educational program that the Somali Mennonite Mission was, uh, was uh, getting involved in at the request of the government. And that eventually led to developing a high school. And so for a number of amazing years, our team in East Africa and Somalia was involved with the government authorities and parent associations and governors and so forth. We were working together, a small team of Christians and a large team of uh, of Muslims, to develop this high school. Believe me, that was really a dialogue of praxis um, at every level. Um, Should there be a mosque in this center? It's built with Christian money. Is that okay to build a mosque with Christian money? and all kinds of questions and so forth. This was a dialogue of praxis, which uh, uh, pulled into the circle- the conversation, both conversation, both with Christians and with Muslims. Um, very tragically, then there was a Marxist revolution took place in Somalia- and in the end of the day, uh, the Marxists really ruined the high school- that we had been involved in developing, um, and that was sort of a tragic- but then this, the emphasis shifted, and these Muslims began to refer to us as, as uh, the peace, the peace uh, people. And so we became known as the peacemaking people. So although the high school was gone, this uh, legacy of working side by side with Christians and Muslims at developing peace initiatives, that continued to thrive until this very day.
0: Mm. Uh, With this video on the website, I'm going to include the the titles uh, of your books and links and people can click to it to find even more. But I want to shift gears a little bit to a book that's forthcoming that you've contributed a little bit to. It's called, uh, Do Christians and Muslims Worship the Same God? Um, And you've contributed a little bit to that where you've got differing perspectives, authors contribute and answer that question differently. Uh, Your contribution, as I understand it from what I'm reading at Amazon, is that you're talking about the implications of the question for Christians ministering among Muslims. As you know, this is a very contentious question um, because of the stance that uh, evangelical Christians have regarding Muslims and their concern for doctrinal purity. Quite often that question provokes a very strong and negative reaction if you answer in the affirmative. Um, Can you give us a little teaser about your position that you set forth in the book? What, What are the implications for ministry?
1: Let me begin with my experience in Tanzania, no Muslims. This was African traditional religion. When my father and mother arrived there, they asked the Sanaki people, do you know about God? Everyone said yes. Tell us what you know about God. God created and then he went on a journey and he will never come back again. Now, my father and mother did not say Oh, we have a big surprise for you, the God you are worshiping is false. Mm -hmm. That's a false God. No, your parents didn't do that. So, in fact, when I was back in Tanzania, as I've I've gone to frequently, but uh, my most recent trip was, what, uh, four years ago, three years ago with children. We took our children, our grandchildren to get in touch with what our parents and grandparents have been involved in. In the middle of that worship service, 700 people packing out the church there, Bumangi, where I grew up. This old woman comes into the center of the circle, holding up a little book, and singing. This book tells all about it. This book tells all about it. And I moved over. and He was holding up the Gospel of Matthew,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which my dad had translated into Zulu language, in language, the first book ever published in Zulu. This this. This this Gospel of Matthew, she was singing about Jesus. How did she know about Jesus? She knew about Jesus because of the the scripture. Now, my father and mother had said to the Zanaki people when they arrived. Well, the God you are worshiping is false. It's not the true God. We worship the true God. Do you think that old woman would have become a Christian? No. The reason she became a Christian was because she was thrilled at the thought that the God she knew has come back Mm. and has not gone away, you see. Now, that's exactly how I approach Muslims. Do you know about God? Of course, all Muslims know about God. What's his name? Allah. Among the Zanaki, it was Burungu, the traditional religion. Ah, I do not say to the Muslims, I want you to be surprised, but what I will say is it this God, Allah, that you worship is a false God? No. Oh, my, no. My parents never said that. I never said that. Well, this is among the Africans in, in Zanaki land later on and in Somalia when we became missionaries there. We always built upon the God whom the Muslims already worshipped. But then we say, a big surprise. Do you know God? Oh, no, 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 no. Nobody can know God. Every Muslim in the world says we can't know God, can't know God. Big surprise, God can be known. Mm-hmm. How is that? Through Jesus. And he is the one we have come to bear witness to. Now, Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 says, I revealed myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as, as, um, Allah, as, as God Allah, as God is Allah, as God is Allah. But to Moses, I revealed God as Yeshua. What's the difference? The difference is that God as Yeshua, Yahweh, comes down and meets us to save us. Within Islam, God never comes down to meet us. He is the unknown and unknowable one. He does not ever come down. It's in Jesus we meet the God who comes down. And so, yes, Muslims and Christians worship the same God. We both believe that God is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. We believe that. Together, we believe that. But God who comes down and meets us. That is a blockbuster. Mm. That God would so love us that he came and met us in Jesus. And that's why all over the world you have hundreds of thousands of Muslims turning to faith in Jesus. Why? In Jesus, we know God as Father, my loving Heavenly Father. I get invited again and again and again to meet in mosques or Islamic associations and so forth and so forth to bear witness to the peace of Christ. I have those invitations They keep coming all the time. The one that always surprises the Muslims in the community, It's a surprise that God would so love us that he would come down and meet us. Mm. That's the distinction.
0: That's
1: why I'm a missionary, to share that good news, Mm. gently, clearly.
0: And you do it very well. (laughs) I can't wait to to see what, uh, what else you have to say when the book comes out.
1: I think that every time I enter into a dialogue, dialogical conversation with Muslims, as I leave that gathering, I pray and say, Lord, my words are totally unable mm. to convince. It's the work of the Holy Spirit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I am called to be your witness. And that's what I've sought to do. Mm-hmm. It's not adequate. I witness is not adequate. Mm. It's the work of the Holy Spirit.
0: Mm. Well, my friend, I appreciate uh, you taking the time out of a, a busy schedule uh, to share these things. I encourage folks to seek out. Your book series, uh, I've enjoyed them immensely, and uh, I look forward to do Christians and Muslims worship the same God with that conversation and your contribution. Uh, who knows? Perhaps we'll be at a, a peacemaking conference again in the near future together. I hope so. <laughs> Can I share one more account. Yes, you may. Please do. Okay. Yes.
1: Um, one of the great surprises I've had over the last couple of years was uh, an invitation to go to Iran. And that was related to Mennonite Center Committee being involved in some uh, philanthropy when there was an earthquake. And there's much appreciated. And Coming out of those relationships, this, uh, this invitation came across my desk and the desk of a couple others to come to Iran and participate in a massive event of 6,000, they said, clerics coming together from around the world and to talk about hope, hope in our troubled world. And the specific uh, question that I said to them that I would enjoy speaking to is uh, the hope that comes in Jesus. That's what I like to do. And they wrote back and said, you may do that. And so, you know, these doors do not just sort of automatically open. One, tuning in, tuning in, tuning in, where might that opening be? And this was one that came our way. And so I get to Tehran then with one colleague. And um, uh, it turned out that it wasn't going to be a small event. Like I said, they said 6,000. I think that was overstated, but um, it was a two-day marathon of 21 sermons, basically building around Messianic hope within Islam. And they wanted me to hold forth on in Christian faith. Mm. What I did was to tell the story of Jesus. I said, thank you for inviting me. I am commissioned today to share the Christian understanding of what this is all about. What hope is all about. And um, so I just walked through the life of Jesus. They gave me 20 minutes. What would you say in 20 minutes? I just told the story including the story of Jesus rejecting the invitation to take up military arms, to bring about the kingdom and chose instead
0: the way of suffering love. And um, I sat down and I ran
1: around the edge of the auditorium, found my seat, pulled on my my, uh, ears and praying, oh God, oh God, I hope it was heard, I hope it was heard. The Ayatollah, who was the moderator that morning, said, my, 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 we did not know this about Jesus. You Christians must make your books available so that we can read what Shank has been talking about today. What we've heard is very important. Doors open that we never would have imagined, mm. and um, I uh, wish so much that all of us, if we've the name of Jesus, would forthrightly and persuasively introduce this Jesus that I had the privilege of introducing there in Tehran at that Marathon Gathering. Doors are open that we don't imagine. But we don't demonize. When we demonize people, the walls go up, the walls go up, the walls go up. It's as we communicate in ways that bring the walls down, the doors are opened and they open and they open in astonishing ways. The Holy Spirit seems to me to be in quite a hurry just now.
0: Yes, and it would be nice if we joined alongside of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I mean, you. David, I, again, I thank you so much for for your time and for your wisdom and for sharing all your re- great experiences. And I hope folks uh, uh, move beyond this uh, discussion we've had to grab some of your books and to to seek out some more. Uh, thank you again so much.
1: Thanks for inviting me. It's a great honor, a privilege. I'm delighted. Thank you.
0: Thank you.